All right, welcome to Film Shake. This is episode 29, and I'm Jordan. This is Nick. And we're here to talk about 1999's Cruel Intentions. And of course, we are a 90s movie podcast, giving you everything from the terrible to the awesome. Usually somewhere in between, we will find out how we feel about this movie. But Nick, we have to say up front, The Fallen Warrior review will once again be at the end of the show because you were punished with a terrible sequel that we'll cover later, of course, because we'll talk about the original first. But yeah, you lost at the trivia battle last time. And for some reason, man, you just keep watching more than you're allotted. You watched Cruel Intentions 2 and you watched Cruel Intentions 3, right? I try to say that I'm not a masochist, but... I am proving that wrong with every episode. What are you doing to yourself? So this all started because I said, you know what? I'm tired of beating you in trivia every episode and forcing you to watch a bad movie. I feel like it was destroying your psyche. Like every episode you were a little (laughs) more depressed. It was a bummer. And I kind of missed watching the bad movies. So I let you in one time. And then after that, it just tasted so sweet watching the bad movie. (laughs) It was so delicious that I just started writing easier and easier trivia questions for you so that I wasn't like letting you win. I won't say that, uh, sure. but I was tilting the board in your favor. Nah. And even with the questions I wrote tonight, I feel like they're pretty easy. I'm setting myself up for another failure. And why, Jordan? I, I felt my soul crack. You're just trying to make up for, yeah, cracking my soul. You're cracking yeah, your own soul. I am, because I'll just say CI2, I was starting to feel like I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay on this planet, if maybe I wanted to try to build a spaceship and go to another planet where whoever the the dominant beings there were had not created a Cruel Intentions 2. And then I watched 3, and I just don't think humanity deserves to exist anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Not that you had much hope to begin with, but... Yeah, you're really out of here now, right? Long-time listeners will know about my quasi-nihilist perspective on the human race <laughs> and life, but I'd say that it's taken an even darker turn now. But we, we can't get to that quite yet. You know, we have to go in chronological order here. I just want to say I'm not to blame for that. I did not punish you with number three. Actually, my wife had suggested that I make you start with three and skip two because we knew you were probably going to go there and watch all three of these terrible movies. Well, I should say the two terrible sequels and we'll have to reveal how we feel about the first one. We don't want to give that away yet, right? So we'll see how it goes. We have, you know, as usual, our trivia battle at the end of the show to determine who gets punished next with the possible terrible movie, maybe 90s movie, we'll see. We also want to say Cruel Intentions was a fan request Uh, that came in from Nicole. So thank you, Nicole. She wanted us to talk about this movie for her birthday, which is in May. And hey, mine is also in May. So happy birthday to you and me and hope you enjoy the episode. And Nick, speaking of fan requests... We have our uh, Patreon that we announced last episode, and we have two spots left for listeners who want to sign up for the Papa Special, the $5 a month, where you get the bonus episodes, plus you get to pick two of the 90s movies we cover every year, and we'll name a meatball sandwich after you. That's right. Like good old Papas. Yes. You know, we didn't quite think it through when we set up the Patreon. We didn't realize everyone's going to go for that $5 tier because they get to <laughs> right. they get to make two movie requests a year. And when we realized that was happening, we're like, oh, we got to shut this off. 
So that's it. There's yeah. two more spots available there where you get to pick two of our movies a year. And after that, it's shut down. Patreon's going to keep going, obviously. But that particular offering will be done. Right. And you really, if you want to make us suffer or make Nick suffer, just like add fuel to fire, you can pick some terrible movies for us to cover. And just, you know, it's like your own way of choosing the punishment movie. So <sighs> you kind of like just get that in there. So, Nick, you know, there might be more pain coming for you. Just be careful with yourself. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm starting to lose my joy in bad movies already, and I might have to get back <laughs> to just kicking your butt every single episode. Hey, <laughs> hey you're where I was <laughs> when we started this. <laughs> yeah, That's right. Now I'm just like, man, I don't have to watch two movies for this show. <laughs> I only have to watch one, oh. and one of them could be good. It could and be I good. I won't have to watch something absolutely terrible but you know what else could be good what's that i think we decided we're gonna reveal one of the meatball sandwiches for our papa special tier patreons per episode and i do believe that you have one that's right we had multiple people sign up but we wanted to space them out a little bit and give some love to the first that signed up here so that's our shout out for doug and jamie from the Good Times Great Movies podcast, good friends of ours, and they have a great show that we really love, and they're supporting us at the poppest level. So they get a meatball sandwich shout out, and I'm going to go ahead and name their sandwich in honor of their 80s movie podcast, the Slumber Party Meat Tassiker. <laughs> meat meat Tassiker? <laughs> this, is a, this is a sandwich you'd eat at a slumber party, maybe with some busty babes. And, uh, you know, there's meatballs, of course, lots and lots of meatballs, gluttonous amounts of meatballs that maybe you feel like you've been massacred after you've eaten it, but in a good way. And there may be a killer meatball dressed like a 50s greaser with an 80s style power drill guitar (laughs) inside the sandwich. So, you know, surprise when you open it up, it might kill you. You never know. Uh, It just might happen. But, you know, this meatball, of course, has the face of Gary Busey. And the whole sandwich is on fire while you eat it. So there you go. Slumber party meat tassiker. One of the reasons that we are only doing one per episode is because I promised I would actually try to make these sandwiches. So I'm really pumped about making the meat. I can't pronounce it. Say, say it for me again, Jordan. The meat tassiker. Meat. It's a play on the word massacre, of course, but, but I'm it's butchering meat-tassiker? it. Tassiker. Meat tassiker. Slumber party meat. Meat-tastiker. All right, well, keep your eyes open on our Twitter, because I'm going to make this sandwich from scratch very soon and figure out how exactly a meat-tastiker could be realized in our world as something that is edible and will not kill you. Will you craft one of the meatballs into the face of Gary Busey? Oh, I'll try. I'll try, Jordan. Okay. I think that's a necessary element to any meatball sandwich we name for anybody or create in any way. (laughs) Gary Busey's got to be on there somewhere. So that's just a taste for you guys, you know, what you might be getting, what you're missing out from supporting us on Patreon. Yeah. So again, thank you to Doug and Jamie for supporting us there, getting the bonus episodes, and they'll be able to choose two of the 90s movies that we cover. So I'm really looking forward to what they have in mind. Love their show again. They cover a lot of terrible 80s movies, and they're really hilarious. So if you like our show, you'll probably really love their show. Go check it out. Good times. Great movies. That's right. Thanks. And you know what I wish, Jordan? (laughs) What's your setup? What's going on? 
I really wish that Gary Busey was in Cruel Intentions. imagine that oh man where would he fit what what would you do with gary Busey? What, I, mean, I want to know where your mind's going after watching this movie i refuse to believe that roger cumble the director lacked the ability to insert gary Busey somewhere into this thing <laughs> he should have been like the teenage heartthrob instead of ryan Felipe. <laughs> Felipe, however you say So let's name. just get into this. Listeners, we can't pronounce this actor's name. No one can pronounce this actor's name. It seems simple, right? Everyone calls him Ryan Philippe. Well, that's wrong. There's a, either a pay or a P at the end. Now, most pronunciations that I've seen in the thorough research we did for this episode says Philippe. Actually, like, you know, like like P, like you're going to go P. You're going to Ryan Philippe. But maybe not. Man, I got to go Philippi. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you found credible sources that say Philippe. I found a YouTube video that's a really the strangest, like how to pronounce something uh, YouTube video I've ever probably heard. After listening to that, I still don't even remember how to say this guy's name. So I think, yeah, we'll just go with Ryan Felipe or Philippe, whatever you want to say, Nick. I don't care. The bummer is, right, unless you're Jack Ryan, we're going to call that character by the actor's name. So we're screwed here because what am I going to say? Sarah Michelle Gellar, along with Sebastian Val Valmont. I can't even say Valmont. Yeah, let's just say Sebastian because... I'm familiar with Ryan from, like, The Way of the Gun. I forgot that he was in I Know What You Did Last Summer with Sarah Michelle Gellar, right? That movie has a lot of connections to this one. It does, yeah. That would have been something good for me to insert in a trivia later, but I made my questions easy, and I didn't want to do that because I want to feel more pain, apparently. Did I just blow one of your questions? Are you just crossing that off the list? No, right no, no. I didn't even go that far. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm like, okay. is Cruel Intentions a movie? True or false? <laughs> um, no, <laughs> depending on your perspective. Oh! It's oh. not. Okay, so I just want to give a disclaimer here before we start to talk about this movie. Okay. And I'm going to spoil something here. Neither one of us were fond of this. Now, back when this came out, I remember watching it, not in the theater, I did not go to see it, but I had a friend, Robbie, who had HBO, he taped the first season of The Sopranos for me, he would tape any new movie that premiered on there for me, and he'd bring it to school. It looked very illicit in homeroom when he'd be passing the VHS tape to me, and then I'd be putting it in my backpack. And one time, it was Cruel Intentions, this was right before I graduated high school, so sometime in the spring of 2000, and I watched the movie, and... I was a huge Buffy fan, so I dug Sarah Michelle Gellar in this a lot, even though she was evil. But I remember thinking, like, right. oh, that was all right. Like, I, I didn't think it was that great. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. I didn't realize, you know, in 21 years I'd be hosting this podcast with you and that someone would ask <laughs> us to watch it. And watching it again, I know a lot of people are huge fans of this, but just a disclaimer, I hope you still like us when we're done talking about it. <laughs> because we are not huge fans of this movie. Do people? I mean, I know, okay, so we have to apologize to your buddy Wes with 
real talk uh we know he's a big fan of it but are there really like ardent fans still about uh, for this movie like i don't really hear anybody talking about it anymore or it just seems like from the bygone era the 90s just kind of this forgotten thing that was a hit at one point but are there still like really loyal fans to it? Does it have a cult following or anything? I think maybe it does have a cult following. I I think Wes said that he saw it in the theater somewhere, somewhere was was showing it recently. So there are definitely people who are interested in still watching this. And I mean, Jordan, we just got a request for it, right? That's true. We just got a fan request for it. So yeah, people still like it or maybe they love to hate it or Hopefully there's people out there too that are laughing at it like we probably will, you know, coming up. Some of the ridiculous stuff going on here and some of the questionable stuff going on here. Lots of questionable stuff. I will say, though, it is a very faithful adaptation, modern day adaptation, obviously, but of the 1782 work by Pierre. And if you thought we said Ryan Philippe, Ryan Philippe <laughs> wrong, wait till you hear this, by Pierre Chardelot de la Claw. Les liaisons. Dangerous. My last name is Loop, just in case any listeners are wondering. That's French for wolf. Now, I don't have a lot of French blood, actually, but I'm butchering these names. And I grew up in a Creole parish in Louisiana where, like, French used to be the native tongue. I can't say any of these words. That book by that French dude. Yes, that French dude. Dangerous Liaisons, which this is based upon, it's very, very faithful. Pretty much everything that happens and that happens in this... But now I'm thinking, is that a good thing? (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Well, I wanted to have my own disclaimer just straight up, you know, because I know your mom listens to the show and even at almost 40, are you sure you want to go here and let her know that you've watched such a scandalous movie? Well, I think there's a difference between, (laughs) I'm not even going to say, well, I will, between watching it and enjoying it. And if you enjoy this movie, you're a giant pervert. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You can watch this movie under certain terms. Well, I don't know. See, I feel like this movie is trash. And I'll just (laughs) Yeah. I'll just tell you so (laughs) just in the worst way possible, yeah. Yes, it's like (laughs) not in trash like glorious uh City of Angels trash that I I loved from our last episode. (laughs) See, I like this better than that. And guess what? I'm just going to do this now. I give this a 4 out of 10. I gave that a 3 out of 10. So I I like this one one score point higher on a 10 Mm. out of 10 scale. I bring up your mom just because watching this, it reminds me of taking us back to when we first saw this, like you were talking about. So in 1999, I was something like the age of 13. I'm not sure where I watched it or with who, but it feels like a movie you'd have on at 13, like in your room with the door closed, your finger on the remote, just in case your mom walked in, you hit the input button, turn off the DVD player and all of a sudden, you know, Cartoon Network is on or something, you know, it's just like, have you been in those situations too? Like, does that ring a bell where you're like, oh, I'm watching this kind of thing that, you know, it's not that you know, racy, but to my mom, it might be. So, well, not that this is not racy, because <laughs> this this is, like we said, questionable content. But there's no actual nudity unless you count the butt shot with Ryan Philippe by the pool. Or are his butt stunt double? I'm not sure. He might have brought in the butt double like uh, they did for Kevin Costner in Robin Hood that we covered. This is the same guy, same, same butt double. <laughs> same guy. That guy's butt is forever young. <laughs> He's just like the only butt double, the only guy they could get in. That's You're right. Like, hey, call the butt double guy. Every movie that has a butt, it's that guy. Yeah. But no, I was kind of surprised that there wasn't more 
nudity or there was very little to none but it's still you know it's a sexual moments and sexual talk and that kind of thing so yeah just a disclaimer for all the moms listening (laughs) well you brought up an interesting point there because whenever i saw this i mean i was old enough to vote jordan i mean this is uh (laughs) oh big timer big timer but i do wonder too if maybe how this movie sits in certain people's memories could reflect more on age because uh i mean i had seen a lot more risque stuff than this but this watching it now i feel like the end of the 90s and the early 2000s it's kind of like the lad mag age. Do you remember uh, lad mags like uh, Maxim or FHM magazines where it seemed like any up and coming actress had to pose in lingerie in these magazines uh, and they had right, this really right. irreverent attitude where yeah. a movie like this that came out during that time period would just be considered like edgy in like a good way. Like it's pushing boundaries and stuff. And then like, I'll take that further since I was in college during that period. And I majored in English. A lot of the guys in my creative writing classes reminded me of uh, not necessarily Ryan Philippe's character, but just that attitude though. He does talk in this movie like them because his voice in this movie is really special. He's like, I don't know how I'll ever recover from this pain that I'm feeling. Like, it's very muttery (laughs) voice. It's really weird. And also, gosh, man, I have such ordered notes and this conversation is already chaos. But watching it now, (laughs) it was crazy to me. The first moment that he's on screen, he looks so young and so little. He's such a little guy. I always thought he was bigger than this. He was only 5'9". And I think maybe the fact that for the Star Wars prequels, I believe when they casted Anakin, he came up second behind Hayden Christensen. And when Uh. I thought about it, I thought, man, Ryan Philippe is such a little guy to play the guy that would become Darth Vader. But in a way, I get it. Because in this movie, there's like this menace lurking under the surface with him where it looks like he could kind of do anything. Like he could just snap at any moment. And I kind of wonder if just him as an actor, if he's just got this darkness there that's like inherent and kind of scary. And then, you know, in in real life, this guy post Witherspoon, because he and Reese Witherspoon were dating during this movie. They got they were married for a time. They had children. But he's had some issues with the law after that. One of his romantic partners filed a harassment report against him with the LAPD for some text messages he was sending. And then another one of his romantic partners afterward filed a lawsuit against him for allegedly punching, kicking, and throwing her down the stairs. And she was granted a restraining order. So there's like a danger about this guy where watching it now and thinking about whenever George Lucas was casting Anakin Skywalker, who would do all those things that I just said, I can kind of see him like seeing that. And I'm not saying he's great at casting people or that he's bad at casting people, but just that I could see why, even though this dude really is a shrimp, he might be a black belt in Taekwondo in real life, but I still feel like I could pick him up and throw him over my roof. Like I can see why he (laughs) would want to cast him in this part. (laughs) Yeah. Like, no, for as much as I don't really like this movie, I feel like he really works for this character and I feel like he would have probably been a better actor than Hayden Christensen and worked really well in the prequels. Might have redeemed them a little bit. can see him really working uh, in that role. But let's do a synopsis of the film real quick. So Sebastian 
played by Ryan Philippa. You seem Black. really excited to be doing this, by the way. Like, you seem super pumped to recount the plot of Cruel um, Intentions, but please continue. I'm so excited. Well, I eat these yeah. pastel-colored Easter M&Ms, which, why are they so much better than regular M&Ms? They're <laughs> delicious. Know. All right, go ahead. So, uh, Ryan Philippa <laughs> is how I'm going to say his name forevermore. He's an upper-class, womanizing pretty boy. He delights in causing others misery, usually using them sexually and his stepsister Catherine played by Sarah Michelle Geller uh, you know she's of the same ilk while she is trying to ruin the reputation of a younger girl named Cecile uh, that's played by Selma Blair this is younger girl is who her boyfriend left her for so she wants Sebastian to seduce her and kind of ruin her reputation Sebastian is challenging himself to making a conquest of the virginal Annette played by Reese Witherspoon. And Annette has pledged her virginity in the Seventeen magazine and is the new headmaster's daughter at their school. And Catherine and Sebastian make a wager over his attempts at seducing her. If Sebastian succeeds, Catherine will have sex with him. If he fails, she'll get his sweet ride. That being his car, not sex with him. Yeah, (laughs) I guess we have to make that distinction because there's... Lots of euphemism to be had in this movie. But yeah, you were talking about that opening with him looking so little, like a little boy, like a little shrimp. And I think that has a lot also to do with how he is presenting himself in that scene. They're in the therapy session with Swoozy Kurtz, who interestingly enough was in the original Dangerous Liaisons with our boy Keanu. So here she's playing his therapist we're first introduced to him as this kind of, I don't know, like meek and confused, like kind of creepy, just little kid. He's playing very hurt and vulnerable, but he's also trying to seduce her at the same time. And she's twice his age. So that's just right off the bat. Like, okay, this guy's got some problems and he's talking about how beautiful she is and how she has great legs that he wants to photograph. And then he gives her a prolonged hug, which is just really uncomfortable. And, you know, this whole time opening scene, we're just seeing him like this. Like, okay, this guy's kind of creepy. He's just kind of swarmy, you know. But then it's quickly revealed that he's actually some suave playboy type that has slept with her daughter, played by Tara Reid. And a young Tara Reid calls her after the session crying about how some guy posted nude pictures of her on the internet And this guy said she had great legs and just wanted to photograph them. So then, you know, the therapist is keyed in right away. Oh, no, it's that schmuck, Sebastian. I love how we see this computer monitor with the therapist book on the monitor. But the title's been changed to include slut. And there's a semi-nude picture of the daughter. And she just loses it. It's an interesting way to present his character where first he's one way and then we quickly reveal his true nature yes it's really interesting that he does things that are now punishable by federal prison so (laughs) (laughs) really interesting yes really interesting here's where i realized the movie was terrible i really think the first shot and the last shot of this movie i think they're the best shots i think they're the best moments of the film It's him driving in his car, and you get this long panning shot of a cemetery, which is foreshadowing for later in the movie, and also maybe with some of the themes of the movie. And you've got that placebo song, Every You, Every Me, playing, which that was a band I thought was cool in high school. 
They had that friend in need is a friend indeed song, and the guy sings in that androgynous voice. So it's really yeah. cool, right? You're thinking like, wow, like this is a really cool like helicopter shot of this car with this song. And it's really high energy. Yeah, I was impressed by that up front. I was like, oh, this is well made. This is, looks better than I expected for sure. Yeah, most definitely. So it seems that way. And then he gets in the therapist's office and it feels a little goofy. And then the music kicks in and it's like, and that's the music for the movie. I looked this up. Apparently, originally, John Ottman, who scored the X-Men films and a lot of other movies, he did this really mysterious, beautiful symphonic score for the film. And apparently, when the film didn't test as well as they thought, some executive said, I think it's the music that's throwing people off. So they really quickly hired Edward Shearmer, who provides this kind of keyboard quickie soundtrack that just sounds like it would be something on like a really low budget WV teen soap. It's like, oh, the production value right there, not great. A good movie really wouldn't have this backing it. And then you get the scene with the therapist and then you get revenge porn and slut shaming. And it's like played heroically and for laughs. Like you said, you loved it. I know you didn't mean that you loved it. But I mean, he comes out of there like, that'll teach that therapist to overcharge me. Meanwhile, like there's naked (laughs) pictures of Tara Reid on the internet that he lied and manipulated her into getting. And it's really, really gross and really skeezy. But the movie's like, yeah, he might be a rascal, but he's pretty cool, right? Right. Because, I mean, as soon as he comes out of the therapist's office, she's at the top of the stairs like yelling behind the glass at him and some random hot girl of course comes up to him and is like what's her problem and he says looks like somebody needs therapy <laughs> and then he takes her off to lunch and they walk away holding hands and you know he puts on the sunglasses like yeah i'm real slick yeah like you said it is played for like oh he he really got her and yeah he he's like this ladies man kind of guy like look how cool and that's like another thing that I wasn't quite sure how to feel about or what the movie really wanted me to think about the characters. Because in some ways, it yeah, like you said, it's kind of played heroically and you're like, am I supposed to think this guy is cool or like just a complete douche? Because there's definitely times throughout where I feel like obviously they set him up as this very flawed character and he does a lot of cruel things. But then it tries to move you into territory where you're like, oh, but now he has a heart and he's changed. And I'm just like, no, 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 but he's a total douche. Like he did all these terrible things like two minutes ago. And now you want me to believe he's all of a sudden a good guy? Like, it's hard to swallow. If you just take his actions throughout the film, what they are and what he's literally doing, he does a lot worse things than Sarah Michelle Gellar does. His stepsister, who's portrayed as the film's villain, who will get to what happens to her at the end. But uh, I want to skip to it. I want to skip, Jordan. I can't. I can't. No, we can't. I'm skipping. I'm skipping to the end. (laughs) No, don't do it. All right. I'll save it. I'll hold it. I'll hold it. We were talking about Doug earlier. If Doug was here, he would definitely skip to it. I just want to say about him walking off, holding hands with this girl. He's got an intense handhold in this movie, man. Like later when he meets Reese Witherspoon and he just straight up grabs her hand and like drags her behind him. (laughs) Like how many times does he hold people's hands in this? That's pretty weird. Yeah, he throws a girl off the bed at one point. That's played for laughs. Just tosses her off. It's hinted at that he hit Sarah Michelle Gellar later in the movie, which I think that they they were going to make it way more apparent that it was true that he hit her. 
but they decided to make it more ambiguous and, and up to you. I felt like that was more her lying to get a reaction out of Ronald. But... Well, the intention originally was that he did do it and that it wasn't, uh, that part wasn't, it's the other stuff. But now, see, we're skipping ahead. We're skipping ahead to the end. Okay, okay. Well, we got to meet Catherine. So Sarah Michelle Geller, his wicked stepsister, they're staying in this palatial estate where their parents are off, what, in Europe or somewhere? Where are we at? This is kind of like upper crust New York, like out in the Hamptons or something like where. See, crust reminds me of pizza. And to me, this doesn't remind me of pizza because I don't like it and I like pizza. (laughs) So let's just say it's one of those places where rich people are. We can talk about or maybe we don't want to talk about their wager because that's also really gross. So she wants them to seduce the younger girl, Cecile, Selma Blair. Because her boyfriend left her for this girl, probably because, you know, Catherine is just a big B. But Sebastian is not into it. He's got too many irons in the fire, so to speak, I guess. You know, he wants to seduce Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> I wanted to bring up, we had a message from our buddy Rob Kerr, who's a listener and one of our Patreons. Thank you, Rob Kerr. But uh, he said he watched this movie and it also made him very angry. And, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm sure many of its problems come from its historical context, its homophobia, sexism, racism disguised as not racism, and Reese Witherspoon as supposedly attractive. <laughs> so I don't uh, necessarily think she's unattractive, but maybe other people had problems like Rob Kerr, but I just thought that was a fun dig. That's not an issue for me. I, I think she's cute. Not that it matters, yeah. but to me, the problem is her character is so badly and inconsistently written. Like, is she religious? I don't know. That's never shown. A few characters make fun of her and Jesus, but we never see her acting religious. And her convictions must not be strong because as soon as she meets Ryan Philippe, Philippe, like he has her doubting herself within like 10 seconds. When he says he doesn't like her article, like her nose scrunches up. She's like, well, you're the first person to ever tell me that. Right. Like everybody else praises it. Yeah. Yeah. And then after the wager, He's doing all this creepy stuff where he gets her alone at night in this pool in this giant mansion. Oh, man, it's super creepy. She has heard about his reputation and that he's awful. If I'm her, I'm like, yeah, I'll go swimming with you. Let me go change. And then I'm getting the hell out of here. But not her. She, right. she just gets in her, her swimsuit after he already like exposes himself to her. So he's already right. proving his reputation to be true. And she just gets in the pool with him. And in the movie, he ra- I mean, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Why am I apologizing for this dude raping someone <laughs> later in the movie? I didn't make the movie. He definitely rapes Selma Blair's character later on in the movie. Yeah, that's just terrible, man. How do you like when he, he gets into the pool with her and he's like circling her? Like a, like shark, a shark, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, which was a, a nice touch for filmmakers to have him do that as they're talking. I thought that was an effective moment or effective gesture for him to do that. Very ominous or very, yeah, shark-like, but... Still, I'm with you with her character being inconsistent because she's written this op-ed in Seventeen Magazine how she's going to save herself for when she's married and she's a virgin. And, you know, that kind of person who would put themselves out there, obviously a target for this kind of guy. You know, you would think she would have a little bit stronger of convictions, a little bit more confidence about herself. But I'm with you. I'm like, wait, y'all have known each other for... How many days now? Don't you have a boyfriend somewhere and he's seduced you this easily and you're putting out all of a sudden like. And she's extravagantly wealthy. 
her dad is right. going to be the master of this school that's never shown to be in session because I guess it's the end of summer. But she's extravagantly wealthy. She's obviously run around with the upper crust. I really want some pizza now. And <laughs> this is the first time anyone's ever been like, that's dumb that you want to stay a virgin. Like, really? Like, no one's ever given you any grief about this article until Ryan Philippe, and when he does it, you kind of want to have sex with him immediately? Right. He's like, that's dumb. You should have sex with me. And she's like, no. And then he's like, no, but for real. And then, <laughs> yeah, they do it. And I don't want to, like, you know, shame her or her character necessarily, but it because uh, that's not what it is. It's just the inconsistency of the character how would this kind of person all of a sudden just do this kind of thing and there's not really any build-up to it there's not really any give and take it's just poorly written if anyone thinks that we're being overly simplistic i think that does this take place over three days between her yeah. meeting him and her being in the greatest love that could possibly ever exist with him in the few hours they've spent together where he's mostly been a douchebag right and it really tries to sell you on that in the end that they're in love and you know, it just, it doesn't work. But I think we should go back to Catherine real quick and the wager. So, you know, at first he's not into it and then she's like, well, if, if you win, I'll let you have sex with me and I'll let you put it anywhere. I was just like, really dude, first off, come on, man, this is your stepsister. That's so gross. And next, like, that's the thing that piques his interest. I'm just like, okay, like you said, from the beginning of the movie, it's just downhill for his character for me. I'm just like, uh, the movie itself, too. I'm just like, okay, you're going to, like, bring in anal with your stepsister? Like you, real, like you said, they're pushing boundaries. But I'm like, really? Did we have to go there? That's just weird, man. It is know. weird. And then we meet Cecile, played by Selma Blair. I really enjoyed her as Liz Sherman in Hellboy because she's able to showcase like her intelligence and her toughness. And in this, she's just, I don't want to call her an idiot because she has really the intelligence and emotional maturity of a five-year-old, which makes what happens yeah. to her even more gross later on. But I mean, in this first scene, she's sitting in this little kid shirt with a skirt on with her legs open so you can see her panties. The camera is making sure that you notice that, so it's already pretty gross. And also the court character, who she's apparently stolen from Sarah Michelle Gellar, I kept forgetting who he was because we only see him for, I think, maybe 10 seconds of screen time in the entire movie. Yeah, like in a flashback or something. Yeah, but I kept forgetting about him because he's not in this movie ever again. Just like Joshua right. Jackson, who has one scene, no, two scenes in the movie and about five minutes of screen time. Or Tara Reid, who just gets to cry at the beginning of the movie. But Court, right. he kicks this whole thing off and we never really see him again. I'm with you with uh, the Selma Blair character. I mean... It's played for laughs that she's kind of a ditz and an idiot. And I felt like performance-wise, you know, there were some comedic moments that she pulled off that I thought were funny, but, you know, wrapped in this terrible context of these terrible people doing terrible things. So, yeah, it's just really a, sh a shame. I don't know. Just not into it, man. How about her mom? Let's talk about her mom, <laughs> Mrs. Caldwell. So she is trying to introduce... Cecile to Catherine and the school and get her in with the popular crowd and everything. And she's got you know, cello uh, instructor, Ronald, giving Cecile lessons. And then there's this whole romance between them and Catherine uses that against Cecile and tells her mom. And, you know, Ronald is a young black man. And this reveals Mrs. Caldwell's straight up racism against Ronald and he's the only black character 
in the movie, which that's something there right away. This movie handles race just as sensitively as it handles everything else. Everything else, yeah. And like you said, it's a product of its time. Like maybe it's trying to push the boundaries and like, you know, be rough with that kind of stuff in 99 when that was, I don't know, a cooler thing to do or more accepted thing to do. Like people enjoyed it that it was playing with some taboo stuff, but I don't know. Yeah, now it, it just doesn't date very well at all. And so at one point she says to him, I lifted you out of the streets. And he's like, I'm from, what does he say? I'm from the Hamptons or something like that. It's two really nice streets that I think are nicer than the streets that she's actually from. Right, right. This is kind of like the, well, that makes it all better thing, which it really doesn't. Yeah. Well, and I would say also that at least here, she's already a bad person that you're supposed to kind of hate and then makes it obvious that she is racist but yeah it's not sensitive to that at all or it's very, it's very dated for sure it, it doesn't play very well watching it now it's just like oh why did they need that i don't know then sarah michelle geller and ryan Philippe decide as part of their scheming that they need to break this couple up and also that ryan Philippe or felipe or philippe is going to have to hook up with Cecile and totally pervert her. Somehow Bat becomes a part of the plan because it is in the original Dangerous Liaisons too. It's because also that he finds out the mom, Mrs. Caldwell, is the one that told Reese about his bad reputation. So now he's out for revenge. That motivates him even more to get with Cecile. Get her drunk without her knowing that she's getting drunk by drinking a Long Island iced tea. Blackmails her in order to trick her into allowing him to perform moral sex on her. I mean... Here's what happens. <laughs> he gets her drunk, and then he rapes her. That's, if you right. break down what happens, that's what Basically. happens. Basically, yeah. Because, again, she has the mental aptitude and emotional maturity of a five- or a six-year-old. She has no sexual experience. She has no idea what's going on in the scene. She doesn't even know that she's drinking alcohol. He just told her it was tea. So he gets her totally blasted. And then he rapes her is what I think happens because she doesn't yeah. give him any consent. It's really gross. It's really awful. Yeah, it's really terrible. And then the next day, you know, she confides in Catherine, who, you know, just makes it worse by advising her to be, you know, as promiscuous as possible so she can learn how to please Ronald. If you just read the Wikipedia synopsis, the literal next thing, and this is really the literal next thing, in the plot in the movie is Sebastian begins to truly fall in love with Annette who returns his feelings, but is still hesitant. Like, uh huh. Yeah. He just raped a girl. <laughs> like what? And we're supposed to like care about his journey into truly falling in love <laughs> after he's made this bet to bed this girl who's pledged to be a virgin. Like, yeah, I'm really on board with his character arc here. That's right. And he falls in love with her because she makes funny faces at him. Oh, but, oh no. They go to a nursing home where he pretends to help an old lady and really doesn't. He just acts like yeah. the horrible ass of a not even human being that he's acted this entire movie. And then on the car ride home, she makes funny faces at him and he smiles and realizes that he actually loves her in the, I think, 90 minutes that they've spent together up to this point. Maybe. You say funny faces. This is open interpretation. You texted me those funny faces again today in conversation. And I was like, oh, God, no, not that. 
anything but that, man, because this is what makes him laugh. Look at her face, man. She looks like the devil. It's legit scary. <laughs> I was I was kind of freaked out. Like she's sticking out her tongue. She's making like she's squinching up her face, horns with her fingers. I was freaked out by it. I was just like, this is what truly won this guy over and made him a good person. <laughs> like, oh wait, there's somebody scarier than me. It's Reese Witherspoon. These faces remind me of my Lord and Savior, Satan of hell. <laughs> That's right. And this kind of ties into the end for me where I'm like, does she become the bad person? Like she, her true nature is revealed. Maybe she was playing him all along. She's not like the virginal Annette. She's the true wicked one, maybe. I don't know. I think there's a reading there for that, especially with these faces, man. Well, one of the original endings of the film was that she would become that way, that she would be the one playing all the cruel intentions games. But that doesn't happen because that would have made this even worse. But let me talk about something <laughs> that's actually good. Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Philippe really do have great chemistry. Of course, they were dating at the time. They got married and mm -hmm. had a child shortly afterward. And I'm going to be honest, right? Like, I'm not digging this movie at all. And the soundtrack, I think the opening song and then the ending song and the colorblind by Counting Crows is really good. But, you know, we just cover The Crow, which has such a fantastic soundtrack. I pick up all the soundtracks for our movies, usually the score. But if there's not one, I'll get the song soundtrack. Or if the soundtrack with the songs is really outstanding like The Crow, I'll get it and the score. But with this movie, I really, and my wife warned me because she had this soundtrack, she said, it's not the best. It's really not as good as you would think it would be. And it's not. It's got some weird songs on it that aren't that fun to listen to. But when they do play Counting Crows Colorblind and Ryland Philippe and Reese Witherspoon make love and the camera just focuses on mostly their faces, really, it's it's all like chest up. It's a pretty hot scene. I mean, I have to give it that. This movie, I think, is really terrible. But that scene, as far as sex scenes we've covered on Film Shake, I think that's the best one up to this point. It's literally hot, man, because they are sweating. <laughs> they are sweating. It looks like they're in like an upstairs attic. The sun is just pouring in. It looks like they're literally sweating to death. Like, I don't think he actually died from the taxi in the end. <laughs> I think he died having sex to Reese Witherspoon on the set in the sauna. And, you know, she she got up from that scene and he was just a skeleton. Like, <laughs> <laughs> dehydrated into bones. He dehydrated into bones. Yeah, because they, they are sweating a ton. The sun's shining bright. Above their chest, you can see, like, every little bitty hair on their body and every pore. But I don't know. I, th I thought that scene worked. I mean, I wish it was surrounded by a movie that like I liked better because they haven't really had any logical romance that would lead to that or even an illogical one that at least like works on some emotional level. Right. But I have to give that scene credit outside of the opening credit scene and the uh, the end credit scene. That's probably the best scene in the movie, in my opinion. I guess for me to give some credit to the movie and I talked about how I was not on board for when he started going towards actually falling in loving her and becoming like a better person. When that first started, I was like, okay, no, we're way too close to him being just a total sleaze. But there are moments later on where he comes back and he calls her a hypocrite, which you know, he claims that she says she's been waiting for the one true love of her life, but now she's resisting him. And, uh, you know, when he's choosing lover back, you know, that just reads as more sleazy. Yeah, he's just being talk. manipulative. Exactly. Right. 
But then I'm like, you know, it reads that way, but I'm not buying it because is, is this really what he thinks? Like, does he really think they're in love? And, you know, they've only known each other for three days and barely talked. So why would he expect her to be in love with him? He's a douche. But, you know, in that scene, she finally relents and comes after him, which I guess you could say, yeah, he's manipulating her. She comes after him and they start kissing. And then that's also out of nowhere, which I'm like, how's he going to get her chastity belt off? Yeah, but she starts unbuttoning her own shirt. He doesn't even right, have to right. do his usual raping method. Right. So he's manipulated her into coming after him. But he becomes confused about his own feelings and he refuses her and leaves the room. And at that moment, I was like, okay, this is a decision where I'm interested. He's, you know, he's made the right choice. He feels bad about what he's doing and he's backing down. He does have some sort of soul. And for maybe like 20 more minutes of the movie, I was pretty invested in where his character was going. Just, you know, okay, they're, they're building towards this change. And then later he tries to deny, like after they consummate their relationship, like you said, in that sex scene. And Catherine kind of plays with his head and makes him call it off. He comes back and a really emotional scene where he's trying to deny his love for her. And, you know, I just wanted to see what you were like in bed. Tells her that he has no feelings for her. I thought, you know, this is really interesting. And, you know, you really feel for his character. I felt like the performance there was really well done. He's really good in that scene. Broken and up. Yeah, he's crying. His tears coming down his face. Yeah, she's really upset. He vomited backstage in between takes because he was so emotional while they were filming it. Oh, man, yeah. You could tell. He's just like his whole body and like his whole face definitely invested in that moment. But yeah, just the tears coming down his face. And so, you know, it seems like he really wants to change, but he's kind of fighting against it. And like, you know, there's just struggle in his nature. And I thought, you know, his performance was just actually really good. And all throughout, I felt like, yeah, he fit the character well. Ryan Felipe does a good job. Reese Witherspoon, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar. I feel like the performances are all believable. You know, there's some emotional moments. But, yeah, like you said, just the content, the script, the story here, I'm just like uh, really grossed out by still and don't care for. Especially, you know, I'm invested in, in those moments where he's – He's kind of changed and he's trying to patch things up with her. But then where the story goes in the last third of the movie is just so ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Where I'm watching you know, the first part, I'm like, what am I going to talk about with this movie? What can we really laugh at? Because this is all really gross and sleazy. But then that ending is just so over the top and stupid. It's just pretty hilarious. Yeah, it's so goofy, and I can finally talk about what I wanted to talk about before, which is that Ryan Felipe, hey, you know how we pass all those graves and headstones at the beginning of the movie? Well, that was foreshadowing, because he's going to die. Sarah Michelle Gellar uh, kind of manipulates things to where Ronald thinks that, well, it's true. Ryan Felipe did have sex with Cecile, Selma Blair's character. Of course, the way that this movie views it, it was a consensual encounter, uh, which it wasn't, but... That's all it takes to get Ronald very angry. Also, she says that he hit her, which, again, the movie leaves it ambiguous as to whether or not that happened. But Ronald gets real pissed. And again, I felt like this had some really weird racial overtones with, uh, like, the hot-blooded, angry black lover, which I thought was pretty messed up. But he goes and fights Ryan Philippe, 
somehow uh, Reese Witherspoon gets into their fight. How ridiculous is that? That they're like all three walking around on the same highway? (laughs) Yeah, well, New York, I don't know if you've been there, but it's really small, Jordan. You basically know everybody. Oh, yeah, everybody. Everybody's everybody for sure. That's right. So she gets knocked into traffic. So now the heroic, Christ-like Ryan Philippe (laughs) (laughs) knocks her out of oncoming traffic. He himself could have just grabbed her and rolled the two of them into a ditch. But instead, he pushes her out of the way, then stares like a deer in the headlights at a taxi cab that's been hitting its brakes for, I think, a full hour of the film. (laughs) Like you start, it's like diegetic audio (laughs) that you hear like an hour before because that's how long it took for this guy to hit his brakes and to stop. So he hits uh, Ryan Philippe going about 50 miles an hour, which is enough to make him flip over the car or flip in front of the car and then still get some last words in. I love you, Reese Witherspoon, which is (laughs) kind of the voice he's had the whole movie, that weird kind of croaky rasp. But then he dies. Right. How unbelievable is that? That he would die from getting hit by this car. That instantly. Like, he doesn't even go to the hospital. He's dead on the scene. I know. I I didn't remember the ending. I was like, okay, is he going to be hospitalized? Like, he has a cracked rib or a broken arm? But no. The next scene is his memorial service. I was like, wait, he got hit by a car and died? Yes. (laughs) What? And this is, like, where the film just hits peak no logic. Because right. we find out, or we've really seen this whole time he's been writing in this journal, right? So this journal mm-hmm. is really all the awful things that he's done and all the awful things that Sarah Michelle Gellar's character has done and how Cecile is factored into his life and how Reese Witherspoon's and how character is factored, factored in his in, life. Yeah. Yes. So really, if you were to come across this and read it, you'd think, holy crap, I got to bring this to the cops. This guy is going to prison for the rest of his life. That's not how it's played in the film, though. At the funeral, it's passed out because Annette has made copies, and it's passed out by her and by Selma Blair and by Ronald, and everyone reads it, and they're all shocked and appalled at Sarah Michelle Gellar. Right. She's so awful. Can you believe it? She's got cocaine in her cross, and she was part of all these manipulations. I don't think she rapes anyone in the movie or has sex with someone who's you know so drunk that they can barely even remember what happened, like Ryan Philippe does. Or, you know, they don't even know what oral sex is, and he forces them to engage in it. She hasn't done any of that stuff. But people read it, and apparently it makes him seem really heroic, even though, like, I'm not really sure who would find him a hero. I'm not really sure who would get past a few pages and not want to just throw it in the trash and then vomit on top of it and then go to therapy for the rest of their life. But apparently somehow this makes everyone at the funeral think that he is a hero who is passed on to the afterlife to have an eternal reward in heaven for his great deeds and his sister shame her god damn her she is the worst person ever what a great uplifting ending and then reese witherspoon drives away with the original copy of the journal <laughs> and ryan philippe's car to one of the best How songs she... ever recorded the verbs bittersweet symphony i don't know where the hell she's going i don't know what the hell she's doing i don't know <laughs> why does she have his car well, I don't know how she got the keys to his car, but that's the that's the ending of this piece of shit. Oh, I hate this movie. You know. I'm giving it a four out of ten because I think the acting oh. is good, the chemistry is great between Witherspoon and Philippe, even though they're written horribly. And the opening and closing scenes are really pretty stunning as far as just the cinematography of the cars driving on the highway <laughs> with the songs playing. Oh, I'll give it a whole 4 out of 10 for hitting a late 90s zeitgeist with those things. <laughs> oh, man. That song is pretty killer. I, I've had that song stuck in my head for a couple of days. It's an amazing song. 
that this movie does not deserve. It doesn't. I'm sure when you die, your girlfriend of two days gets to keep your automobile, right? I mean, I'm sure he put that in his will right before he said, I love you after the taxi hit him. Uh, and then she's driving away with the journal on the passenger seat and his black sunglasses on. And this is kind of what I was talking about. Like, what are we supposed to get from this? Has she become him now? Like, she's this good girl turned bad because she's taken down Sarah Michelle Gellar. She's the number one mean girl now, right? It's just so strange. I'm like, I don't know what to think about her character in this movie and like where she's going, driving that car, wearing those sunglasses. I'm like, who are you, Reese Witherspoon? You obviously are the devil because you had the creepiest face (laughs) in the (laughs) retirement home scene. Well, that's the thing. It's such stunning, iconic imagery. It's such like a wonderful sensory experience of the movement of the camera and the car and the music and with her hairs flying in the wind. Yes. Yeah. But again, logically, it makes no sense. It I makes mean, no sense. Yeah. They could have instead of that cut to her in like a jungle in Borneo with like full scuba gear and also like bat wings attached to her back. And she says, <laughs> it's time to go spelunking. And then they play Beethoven's fifth. Like that would have made just as much sense as what we got in this right. movie. Right. <laughs> Man. Yeah. It's, it's, it makes no sense. But talking about Catherine's character at the end there and the journal, because yeah, Annette and Cecile looks like she's in cahoots with publishing this journal and sharing it to everybody. And, you know, it's what, like a 200 page manuscript that everyone has in their hand that re- they read the whole thing in like 20 seconds. So they know how terrible Sarah Michelle Geller <laughs> is. But doesn't it also relate to everyone you know, Annette has pledged to be a virgin and she's had sex with Sebastian. So she's publicizing that too. And that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's just weird. It's a weird ending. It makes no sense. I loved how Catherine is trying to lead the memorial service and everyone walks out and she gets mad and stomps outside to the church and everyone's reading the journal and it's playing the bittersweet symphony song and everyone's heads are just shaking so disapprovingly in slow motion at her. They're like, oh, oh, bad girl. And the headmaster pulls out her cross and finds her cocaine inside and just like shakes his head real slow. Nuh-uh, bad girl. It's just so ridiculous. Women are evil and men are heroes. That's right. That was what I got from this movie. (laughs) That's right. And this is the perfect point for me to say, and speaking of making no sense, Cruel Intentions 2 and 3, but you still got to give a score to this, Jordan. I think it gave this, yeah, 2 out of 5. It's pretty bad, man. Four, yeah, 4 out of 10. I, I, I don't know why. I figured we were going to be on the same page on this one. Yeah, I, I figured we would, too. Looking up some of the other stuff Ryan Felipe's done, I saw this. Catch Hell 2014. I think it was when uh, he wrote and directed this movie, but the plot synopsis really sums up our episode here. A fading Hollywood pretty boy gets taken and brutalized in Louisiana by two local men with his total ruination at heart, which I wouldn't say I feel that way about the actor, but definitely this movie and this character. Yeah. Hey, you, you know what, though? There are worse characters in the second and third film, Jordan. You want, you want to hear about those very briefly? Sure. Uh, sure, why not? My soul can only take so much. <laughs> Let's get into the Fallen Warrior review. All right, I'm just going to make some Edward Shearmer Cruel Intentions transition music on my own. I'm just going to make it. <laughs> oh, <I> said, 
So Cruel Intentions 2 was actually going to be a Fox television show. They filmed three episodes of it. But then some executive watched it and said, damn, this is really awful. We could never show this on television. So <laughs> they took that and then they added extremely crude rated R content to it as, as much as they could push to make it more marketable as a DVD. So you're watching this movie and everything feels like a network television cheesy drama. People are like, darn, shoot. And then all of a sudden, you know, any scene where you hear an F-bomb, you're about to see a lot of boobs <laughs> because it's part of what they reshot for the movie. <laughs> well, they had to make up for the first one, right? Like, oh man, there was no boobs in that one. Yes. We gotta get all the boobs in this one. Yes, we need more nudity in this one. We need someone to have sex with a horse. That's not in the first one, so we need to put that one in this <laughs> Does one. that actually happen? Oh, it... Okay, so Jordan. Wow. This movie is a prequel to the first Cruel Intentions. It's supposed to show you how Sebastian used to be an alright guy. And really, <laughs> for three quarters of the movie, more than three quarters of the movie, seven-eighths of the movie, Sebastian, played by Robin Dunn, he is... A decent dude. He's gotten stuck in this situation where he's at this crazy mansion at this weird school. And he's got this awful new stepsister who is played not by Sarah Michelle Gellar now. But apparently when she was younger, she looked exactly like Amy Adams because that's who played her <laughs> in a role wow. she's got to be really embarrassed by now. I'm, I'm sure. I know why she never gets asked this during uh, press kits. It's, it's because she's probably written it in uh, every interview contract. Uh, that she's ever participated in. Do not ask me about Cruel Intentions 2. But really, that's it. The movie is really just trying to explain how Sebastian Valmont became the dirty dog that we see in the original movie. And it's obviously really tonally inconsistent because, you know, it was shot for television to be shown whenever kids would still be awake. And then they edited all this other stuff into it. But it was never going to be good. I mean, it, it's terrible. It makes you want to take a shower over and over and over again. I mean, there's one or two clever moments. Like, for instance, we didn't even talk about the most iconic scene in the first movie, which is where Sarah Michelle Gellar and Selma Blair make out and you can see the spit when they pull their faces away. That was like right, right. the zeitgeist moment for this film was you can see the spit after they make out. <laughs> right. It won Best Kiss with uh, the MTV Movie Award. That's right. It did. And in this movie, they act like they're going to recreate that exact moment because it follows a lot of the beats and has like a lot of homages to the classic Cruel Intentions 1999 film. The one but, that came out the year before. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Which it's directed by the same director. That blew my mind. For some reason, Roger Cumble's phone wasn't ringing off the hook after Cruel Intention. I don't know why. <laughs> so he's around to do uh, the, these TV episodes and then to cut this together for the DVD. Well, you know, I was really disappointed that just looking at you sent me the picture of the cover and i was like cruel intentions too and then saw those directed by roger cumble and then i was like wait there's a character named sebastian and Catherine. like wait he died right in the first one this is before i rewatched it and then after watching the original and one thing i kept thinking at his funeral was no he couldn't have died from getting hit by that taxi right i i kept thinking for real he was gonna come back to life or it was all going to be like a trick that he really didn't die and then he would be in the car with Reese Witherspoon at the end driving off after getting his comeuppance which actually might have, might have made a better ending might have made a little more sense but yeah I was like okay how does he come back in the second movie but no it, it's a prequel but they could have gone a whole different direction is what I'm saying could have worked that into the sequel here's the direction that they go to instead 
So there's a character that's exactly like Selma Blair's character in this film. They're trying to do the same stuff in the movie uh, where they're trying to, you know, kind of pervert her. Yeah. Kind of take her down. So Amy Adams decides, you know what I need to do? She doesn't know about sex or orgasms. You know how I could initiate her into this? I'm going to teach her how to ride a horse and tricking her into having sex with this horse, essentially. There's a scene where she's on the horse and Amy Adams is directing the motions that she needs to make. So she's like directing her to hump the horse. It's awful. It's seriously like the worst I've ever felt watching a movie. Apparently, whenever the Fox executives watch this, because they shot this for the TV part of it. Oh, wow. I think they were like about to kill Cumble. Like, I think Cumble almost got murdered by the executives after they watched (laughs) the scene just because of how awful it is. So I was about to throw up then. And you know what? I said I was going to watch the third movie, and I did. But at that point, I almost turned this one off. And I almost said, you know, forget the third movie. It can't be worse than this. But Jordan, Jordan, (laughs) by Felipe, it is. It is worse than this one because it's even more morally reprehensible somehow. I give this one a two out of ten. And look, this is a movie where at the end of the flick, Sebastian Velmont being finally perverted to the guy that we know from the other movie he gets into a car with the girl who had sex with the horse earlier, and then he essentially rapes her. She's like, that's my nose-hudge place. And he's like, well, I don't care. And she's like, ooh, that feels <sighs> funny. And then starts making oh, orgasm wow. noises. And then we cut to the front of the car with Amy Adams and another character, and they put on shades and smile, and the camera oh. lingers on them over the oh, orgasm no. noises. That's the end of the second movie, Jordan. <laughs> and the third movie is more offensive than this one. Wow. I'm so glad I did not watch this, Nick. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. Jordan, I'm so, so sorry that you were punished with this. Yeah, because you made me Man. watch that one. That's on you, Jordan. <laughs> That's that on is, me, for sure. That is 100% on you, but Cruel Intentions <laughs> 3, that is on me, Jordan. I watched that voluntarily after watching the second movie. That's right. And in this movie, I have one good thing to say about it, and you know what that is? There's no horse humping? Well, in 3, when somebody rapes somebody, they actually get arrested for it at the end, Jordan. It's progress. It's legal progress. progress. Of course, it's not for the first rape that they commit. It's that I'm not going to talk about this for more than like 90 seconds because I just can't. All right. I don't have a window to jump out of in this closet where I'm still recording all the episodes. Defenestrated. But I'll bury my head into all my wife's jackets here until I can't breathe anymore. So this one stars Christina Anapal. Which, actually, I think she's a pretty good actress, and she's a lot different from the other lead actresses in the other two films as far as, like, her energy. She's got kind of this more mysterious energy where you're not really sure. With the other two, you're like, okay, these girls, they have cruel intentions, right? But with her, you're not quite sure. But then here's what happens. And this is all I'm going to say about the movie. This is how it ends. You know how they get the guy in prison who's already raped somebody else? Yeah. This is how it happens. Wait, yeah, yeah, like you know? Did you read about this? Oh, no, no, Okay, good, because there's no way you would guess this because it's awful and your mind wouldn't come up with this. At the end of the movie, the guy that's already raped another girl, he wants to hook up with our main girl here, who is the cousin of Sarah Michelle Gellar's character in the first film. Of course. And she wants him to go to prison so she goes and finds his sleeping pills and takes them and then allows him to have sex with her and tricks him into doing some bondage stuff to where she gets bruises on her wrists, then calls the cops. Then they show up. This guy deserves to be in prison because he's clearly been raping women for all of his adult life and maybe right after puberty. Who knows? He's really not recognizable as a human being. 
but she allows herself to, I don't know what to call it, but she has sex with him. And then the cops show up and he's like, wait, what are you doing? And she's like, I took one of your sleeping pills. I'm going to tell them that you gave me a date rape drug. And then they're going to do a rape test and find that you did have sex with me. And there's bruises all over my arms. And you're going to go to prison forever. Suck it, dog. And he does. Wow. And that's the end. Oh, wow. So it was awful. It was a terrible movie. Wait, did you say he dies or he, he goes to jail? No, he's like, you bitch. And then he goes to jail. And she's like, <laughs> oh, ha, ha, ha. And then the Lee guy's like, damn, that was cold, but we finally got him. Now you and I can be together. And she's like, actually, no, I think I'm in the mood for some cruel intentions. And that's basically the end of the movie. And I can't remember if she she says that or not, but I don't even care. I'm just going to say that's the end of the movie. That's the last line. Oh, wow. I'm just going to say she does. I'm pretty sure she doesn't say that, but that's the gist of it. Wow, man. Are you in the mood for more punishment like it sounds like you had a great time with those two movies well now it's all i know jordan i just want i'm like one of the characters in this these movies like all i know is filth and pain and i just want more of it so i'm not going to make these questions that i wrote for trivia any harder than they are i give that one a zero out of ten i hate cruel intentions three the most and it's probably objectively a better movie than two but by then i was feeling just so like morally beat down that I just give it a zero. I felt worse by the end of this movie than during any movie I've ever watched. And wow. it's probably the effect of watching three of these movies back to back to back. Like back to back, yeah, that's right. But man. I just felt awful. All right. So compared to the Crow quadrilogy, <laughs> would you say you felt worse? Oh, way worse, right? Because oh, I, I yeah. love the first Crow movie. And really, since we did that episode, I've been thinking like, man. But you gave a zero to the fourth one as well. So similar trajectory. But just because it was bad, right? So the second one is only the Crow movie where I'd say like morally, like there's there's things in there that just gross me out. I Just because it's so icky, right? And it's got that icky S&M setting that you really dug and you really enjoy because you're a bad boy. It's also really Iggy. It's really Iggy. It's really Iggy pop. Uh, and then the third one you know i like the third crow movie it was trash but i enjoyed it and it didn't make me feel like i needed to take a shower until my skin boiled off when it was over (laughs) and the fourth one just sucks it's just a terrible movie like i didn't feel bad about humanity or the human race i just thought man this was a really incompetently made movie on a really low budget but with these cruel intentions movies i just felt like a moral crisis like should i join a monastery should i not watch movies anymore right oh man where i was done that's a whole nother level for sure i hate this series i would go so far as after watching all three to say that cruel intentions is my least favorite trilogy of any film trilogy i've ever seen and it's my least favorite film series of any film series i've seen well i don't want to go there so far because i uh haven't seen the second or third and don't plan on watching those ever, but thank you for taking the dive and letting me and all our listeners know what not to check out. So before we move into our trivia battle, we got to do our movie connection time. So did you have a connection for this to The Crow or do you want me to... I have a double connection. They're both listener right. requests and they both start uh, with a CR. What do you have? Well, you let me know about this because you watched all these movies, but in the Crow series does feature Tara Reed and Eric Mabius. Oh, and they do Eric Mabius wrong. He plays like the worst character in the first movie, which is saying a lot. Cruel intentions. Yeah. The homophobia stuff. That's what Robert was alluding to is everything to do with his character. 
And For he's sure. just awful, too, because he has no loyalty to anyone. He just doesn't want anyone to know that he's gay. So he just does really awful stuff. Uh, he turns on everyone. And I love Eric Mabius. I've liked him in the third Crow movie. And I just thinking of everything else I've seen him in, I really like him a lot as an actor. And I really like Joshua Jackson. I, I think he yeah. even, I liked how he hammed it up in this movie. Yeah, he was pretty hammy. I think he's a decent actor. And just seeing his face... Me and my wife have been watching Dawson's Creek <laughs> recently, <laughs> and he's in that, and it's just the worst TV you've ever seen. But even in the worst TV you've ever seen, I'm still like, yeah, he's he's an all right actor. He's pretty good. I think he's pretty great in Fringe, which I think is a, a good show for the vast majority of its run. I think it's a, almost a great show. So that's really my major experience with him. My sister used to watch Dawson's Creek, and I'd go on the internet or play computer games and kind of just like listen in. The only episode I actively watch was the finale. We've joked about starting our own podcast called Dawson's Crunk, where we just drink tiny sips of wine while we watch every time someone says something like ridiculously over the top. We'd have to take a tiny sip of wine because otherwise we'd be dead. Because that <laughs> show is so, the dialogue, man, is so ridiculous. One of the first things, one of the characters, the teenage characters that are like 15 or 14, say is sexual theoretics i'm just like wait what what is the garbage coming out of these people's mouth man this i was like this is this is made in the 90s wow this is so bad but anyway yeah joshua jackson that's what i got for movie connection for tara reed and eric mabius both being featured in both of these series so all right we can move on to the trivia battle hold it All right, Jordan. Well, like I told you, I'm used to pain now. It didn't take long. Now I get where you were coming from. So I think my questions are too easy, and I'm probably going to lose. But let's go. Could you ask me a question first this time? Let's do it. Well, I don't want to add more pain to you, but... I am using the Fred Willard book, which I know you hate. You son of a bitch. <laughs> but there's some easy questions in here. And he has a section on remakes. So I was like, okay, this is a remake uh, you know, of Dangerous Liaison. So let's go with the remake theme here. And speaking of Dangerous Liaison, so my first question, and hopefully this is easy for you, which American remake of a French film stars Richard Gere? Would it be A, Dangerous Liaisons, B, Men Don't Leave, C, 12 Monkeys, or D, Breathless? Was he in Dangerous Liaisons? Is that your answer? Yeah, why not? No, he was not in Dangerous Liaisons. Was he in Breathless? He was in Breathless, yeah. For See, that's what I wanted to guess, because I knew that was the right answer, but I also, deep down, want to lose. So, <laughs> Of course, yeah, because you're masochistic. Yeah, you want to punish right. yourself even more. All right, what do you got for me? Here's my super easy question, which again, I'm going to have to go see a therapist to get out of this cycle because I'm sure there's the the good real part of me wants to win a trivia, but this deep down dark part <laughs> that Freud would love really wants you to beat me really badly. You got to break free. I've been there before, man. You got to get out. <laughs> but here's my super easy question. On which ABC soap opera did Sarah Michelle Gellar get her start? A, As the World Turns. B, Passions. C, All My Children. D, Days of Our Lives. E, Mace Me. <laughs> oh, man, I I actually don't know this. I don't know her early career that well. I was looking at her IMDb, and 
realize uh, or notice that she was in a lot of Burger King commercials. <laughs> but That's right. She's a cute um, kid. I'll just say Days of Our Lives. Was she in that? No, that's wrong. She was in All My Children. All My Children. I don't even. Yeah, I'm, I don't think I've ever seen that show. Oh, I thought so. that was SMG common knowledge, but I, f- I forget that you weren't a Buffy fanatic, which I was. But uh, I don't know if I am anymore. Cruel Intentions has just killed it for you. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd say Joss Whedon has has killed a lot of things for me in the past few months. But yeah, he's done a lot worse to other people that he's actually physically encountered in real life. So yeah. So you missed the question. What you got for me? All right. Hopefully this is a easy one for you as well. So continuing the remake theme which martin scorsese film is a remake is it a casino b the aviator c cape fear or d taxi driver c cape fear and i know that's right yeah that is right part of me wants to live jordan (laughs) that's right man i'm just throwing you a bone just sparking that motivation to live. and Part that wants to suffer wanted me to say The Aviator, even though I know so much about that movie and know for a fact that it's not a remake. I just really wanted to just throw a wrench in winning. <sighs> Come uh, on, man. You, you gotta right. live. You gotta choose to live. All right, I'm gonna try to get my hope back. Maybe through this trivia, or maybe it'll be crushed forever. Here we go. <laughs> Cruel Intentions cinematographer Theo Von Descend worked on one other film in 1999. That movie was A. Big Daddy, B, Payback, C, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, D, Arlington Road. Are you throwing in The Phantom Menace like you, you've you done in other episodes? Of like, Well, it's been right sometimes, so you never know. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not going to... Uh not gonna dig it i don't know um and you say these are easy questions i'm not sure who the random cinematographer what he worked on the same year i'm gonna guess payback is that right no it was big daddy oh it was big daddy okay yeah very disparate from cruel intentions i think why i think this question is easy is because i think payback and arlington road are both good movies and episode one is probably not going to have the same cinematographer as cruel intentions so that that's why i thought it was easy but maybe not maybe not yeah well you got me there so my next question which actress has not played the female lead in any king kong films is it a Fay ray b naomi watts C, Jessica Lange, or D, Michelle Pfeiffer? Michelle Pfeiffer. There you go. Yeah, Fay Ray, the original, Naomi Watts, and the Jackson. I guess Jessica Lange, was she in the the 80s or 70s version? Yeah, she was in the one with Jeff Bridges. I love all those Fay Rays, man. That, yeah, the one yeah. that uh, Jessica Lange is in overall, like I, it's really depressing when the guy in the monkey suit at the end dies and he makes really sad eyes. So that oh. one's probably my least favorite solely for that reason. But yeah, I'm a big King Kong fan. Which, hey, if you listen to the bonus episode, if you're Patreon, you're going to hear me talk more about King Kong. Spoiler alert. Cool. Yeah, I've been really jonesing to go back and watch the original, which probably have never sat all the way through. Like, you know, definitely seen clips from. But I was listening to... I think film spotting they were comparing the original godzilla to the original king kong and they just kept talking about how awesome king kong was i was like yeah i need to need to go back and watch that it's phenomenal i've said in a much earlier episode i think i got my dark sense of humor from that movie because i watched that with my dad when i was very young and every time kong stomped on someone he laughed hysterically <laughs> and i thought oh that's what's funny <laughs> that's what's funny <laughs> a giant unfathomable force killing a peon of a human being you know, that's how it's shot, right? It's a little bitty person and a big giant thing they can't comprehend is stomping on them. And my dad's laughing. So that's what's funny. And I still think that's funny. 
That's how I get up out of bed every morning, Jordan. Hilarious. All right, here you go. Third question, which if you miss, I guess I win, so I'm sure you'll get this right. Which 1999 or 2000 film did Edward Shearmer not score? Was it A, 10 Things I Hate About You, B, Blue Streak, C, Jacob the Liar, D, Charlie's Angels? Man, this is, again, just a guess in a bucket for me. Um, I don't even remember all the answers. Let's just say Blue Streak. Did you tank that on purpose? No, I just, I'm totally guessing. Again, the common theme here is this. Edward Shearmer's music, whether it was his fault or not, for Cruel Intention sucks, and Cruel Intention sucks, and Blue Streak sucks, and Jacob the Liar, I think it sucked, I can't remember well, and Charlie's Angel sucks, but 10 Things I Hate About You is a legitimate classic, which he did not score. The ah, answer is 10 Things okay. I Hate About You, and I Want to Live Again, I think. I won, and I think I want to <laughs> live. I don't think I want to watch really bad movies anymore. <laughs> You get to persevere, my friend. You have hope in your life. I forgot that I could win because of my cruel experience that I just had. So I didn't even quite pick out a punishment movie for you yet. Why don't you let us know what movie we're covering in the main body of our next episode? Maybe that'll strike something in my brain, which will give me a punishment for you. I think it will strike something in your brain. I like how you throw in that verb because we're going to be watching 1997's Anaconda. Starring John Voight, Jennifer Lopez, Eric Stoltz, Owen Wilson is in this thing. I do not recall that, but this is about, if you don't recall, a National Geographic film crew is taken hostage by an insane hunter. I'm remembering that's probably John Voight, who forces them along on his quest to capture the world's largest and deadliest snake, the anaconda. And yes, if you want an easy punishment to correspond to anaconda, you might go with anacondas. The Hunt for the Blood Orchid from 2004 strangely has only one point less than Anaconda on IMDb. Anaconda is at 4.8. Anaconda's is at 4.7. So yeah, hit me with that if you want or if you have any other ideas. We, we could just continue down this train of terrible sequels as our punishments if you want. You like that, wouldn't you? Get your name in the uh, National Geographic. Anaconda's. <laughs> Anaconda's <laughs> The Hunt for the Blood Orchid. Well, guess what, Jordan? I'm not going to make you watch that because my Aww. cruel streak has <laughs> returned. That's what cruel intentions brewed in me, not the desire to lose and be punished, but the desire to punish. And I want you, Jordan, Jordan Courtney, I want you to watch Snakes on a Plane. Oh, nice. <laughs> How is that a cruel streak? I, Jordan, don't, I don't understand that. Let me tell you something. I have seen Snakes on a Plane. The idea of snakes on a plane sounds brilliant, right? I mean, it's Samuel L. Jackson on a plane saying the iconic line about what he's tired of on the plane. And you know what, Jordan? This movie sucks. It is one of the most boring movies I've ever seen. I think even a child could have created a more interesting film based around this concept than David D'Alessandro and John Heffernan did. Those are the writers of this movie. David R. Ellis did a crap job. This is a crap movie. And you're going to watch it, you son of a bitch. You're going to watch Snakes on a Plane, and I hope you hate it. I'm going to sit back, relax, and enjoy the fright, <laughs> as the poster says. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I'd, I've actually never seen this. But, hey, it's got a 5.4 on IMDb. It's above Anacondas, so... It's above even Anaconda, the movie that we're going to cover. But uh, yeah, I'll take your word for it. It probably w will suck really bad, but I am hoping that I can enjoy 
laughing at it and its ridiculousness. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. We'll see. So tune in next time for our snake themed episode. <laughs> just <laughs> kicking off our summer just right. Snakes are coming out, getting wily. I just watched a, another movie with snakes in it too. Weird. So yeah, this is definitely a theme. Yeah, you know, if you thought, how am I going to start off my summer without some Eric Stoltz? Guess what? Eric Stoltz is coming along for Anaconda. He's going to be there. And Jennifer Lopez, and Ice Cube, and John Voight, and oh, Jonathan Oh, that's right, Hyde. Ice Cube. Yeah, yeah and you said Owen Wilson, but I'll say it again. Owen Wilson. That Owen, Owen Wilson. He's in Owen motherfreaking Wilson. That's right. In Anaconda. Everybody's Taking... favorite bottle rocket. You're going to rush more to this movie. When you can't breathe, you can't scream. <laughs> Which, you know, feels like a total rip on Alien, but... We'll oh, for sure. It. Jordan, what's this rated? Is it PG-13 or R? It is PG-13. Okay, so I've only seen this on television and kind of while I was doing other things with it on in the background. So I'm hoping that even though it's only PG-13, that the actual non-TV cut of this movie has some incredible snake-eating violence that I haven't witnessed before. I'm sure it's got a little bit more. I remember watching it on VHS, but yeah, it's been so many years. I I don't recall a whole lot about it. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back into it and watching J-Lo fight these snakes or this snake, this one giant snake. But I feel like we've done a lot of bad movies on the show lately, and we've done some really good movies on the show. And I'm hoping this will bring us back into our comfortable territory of the good bad. Because, you know, this is probably not a great movie, but I'm hoping to enjoy it for its kind of cheesiness and its schlock and you know, the whole action adventure horror. Can't remember if the snake is CG sometimes or there's like it some is. cool practical effects, but yeah, no, it's probably all CG hell from the late nineties. Maybe we'll laugh at that. Maybe we'll have a good time watching it. I don't know. Maybe it'll have some good parts. I don't know. We'll see. Whatever happens, Jennifer Lopez and Samuel Jackson are going to kill some snakes. That's right. Either way, we're going to see some snake death or some death of snakes or snakes killing people. One way or the other. Whatever it is, it won't be cruel intentions. <laughs> That's right. We are moving on from this travesty. <laughs> but sorry, Wes. Sorry, all the lovers of cruel intentions if we hate it too hard. And to the person who's listening to this near their birthday who requested it. That's right. Sorry, Nicole. Maybe you also hated this movie and wanted us to hate on it. I doubt that. <laughs> but either way, here you go. This is our episode. So... Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, thank you to all our Patreons so far who have signed up and are supporting us. If you want to get bonus content like them and get some other perks for the show, you can visit patreon.com slash filmshake. Always, you can email us and give us a shout-out. Let us know what you think about the show or if you have any thoughts or questions. You can email us at filmshakepodcast at gmail.com. And stick around for next episode. Should be coming out in about a month. We'll have our snake theme coming at you. That's it for Film Shake. We'll catch you later. Take it easy.
you're looking at how to pronounce the name of this American actor, as well as how to say more unclear celebrity names in English. How do you go about pronouncing it? Ryan, that you already knew. And no, it is not Philippe, neither is it Philippe, but rather Felipe. Ryan, Felipe. Here are more videos on how to pronounce more celebrity names whose pronunciations aren't exactly always obvious. I'll see you there to learn more.